This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 866, Comic Talk Spotlight, Excalibur by Teeny Howard. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. This is episode 866. It's our Comic Talk Spotlight, this time on Excalibur Volume 1. Uh, and I'm joined by my godfathers, uh, well, the, my children's godfathers, I should say, not my godfathers. <laughs> That's a whole different show. Uh, Paul Scores and Nathan Strzok, welcome back. How you doing? I got something for you. <laughs> direct quote from the movie, I think. That's uh, director's cut. <laughs> Welcome back, guys. So today we're talking about Excalibur. Um, so I'm curious, again, Nate, you have a very different experience reading all of these things. So I'm always curious to get your take first, because uh, for, mo- and for the most part, Paul and I read these things as they were kind of coming out, one at a time. But you, you had the benefit right from the beginning of reading it all at once. So I'm really curious what your take on Excalibur was. Just a, a quick hot take. Okay, quick. Um, the art is really beautiful. Mm-hmm. I like the first part more because it shows more Krakoa than the second part. <laughs> so I, I, I mean, this is, I mean, that's right. I'm just being open about it. Yeah. I'm, I'm all about more Krakoa stuff. And, um, the second half while good was not as enjoyable for me. I didn't think it was as strong. So overall I was kind of like, well, I'm, I'm in, I'm all in. I'm going to keep buying these issues. I'm going to buy the second volume, but I think if it was me buying singles back in the day when I had less money to spend on comics, I would probably have stopped after maybe three or four issues of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's perfectly fair. I, I, I feel like it did, and I was talking with Paul about this kind of off off podcast, that I wasn't excited necessarily to reread it for the podcast because I just felt like, you know, and I was hoping that maybe rereading it all, you know, all condensed in six issues at once would give me a, a better feel for it because again originally doing it every month i thought was one of the books where maybe it didn't work or i was at a disservice to have the chapters isolated from each other because there's not a tremendous amount of momentum and i'm not a huge fan of otherworld to begin with and it's weird to have this much of a focus on betsy and have it not be a chris claremont comic because usually that's one of the characters he really zeroes in on um and again it's it's like i'm curious about you nate because you know, you probably didn't read the comics where Betsy even came back, where, like, she's in her regular body. So I'm curious how you approach this, given how you would have read this and Fallen Angels not that far apart from each other, and they both have, you know, a focus on a character who used to kind of be in, you know, one mind, one body, and now we have, you know, we've split them out again, and now you have Psylocke in her original body. How do you feel about that? Um... Yeah, I, I had heard about it before I read this, and so that allowed me to prepare. But I have always, always is probably the wrong word, for a very long time I had hoped that they would solve the body problem. Um, ever since we read about in the CSS X-Men, the, the return, quote-unquote, of revanche, and I was like, oh, okay. Like, even as a teenager, I was like, yeah, okay, that makes sense, because I hadn't read the Claremont issues where she was created, and even then, that's a complicated series of stories. Even <laughs> if, like, you go and read those issues, you're like, 
okay. <laughs> um, so I was just like coming from the cartoon and jumping in on X-Men stuff just at the end of Age of Apocalypse um, when, when they're going into Onslaught. So my understanding of Betsy, Betsy is that she's... I actually, you know what? I actually didn't know a whole lot, even at that time, because the cartoon, she has an American accent. Oh, sorry. Hmm. Accent. So the idea that she was a British woman with a British accent in an, a, a Japanese woman's body wasn't even really conveyed to me through that material. So I guess I, that was always the way I saw her. It's just kind of the inevitability of coming out of the animated cartoon. And so after reading enough issues, you start to understand. And as a teenager in the 90s, I wasn't maybe as aware of how problematic it is with a white woman inside of an Asian woman's body. Hmm. And I, my understanding is that was meant to kind of be a shorter, briefer time period or storyline. And she was so popular that it just kind of stuck. And I'm like, okay, well... By the end of the 90s, I'm like, well, I'm sure they'll fix this. I'm sure we'll have a, 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 a purple-haired Betsy again in her British body. And, and it just kept going, right? And then we ended up with a, a purple-haired Japanese Betsy. And I was like, uh, uh, what? And I don't even know what happened with the revenge stuff. I don't know if that went off a cliff. So that's my history with Betsy Braddock. And uh, when I heard that they had given her the title of Britain and she was back in her... English body and that that Conan was her own character again. I was I was just very happy and eager to read, and I think it's the first issue, right, where they they're at a party mm. on on Krakoa and they kind of I think Conan tries to speak with her, and she's like, I, I don't have anything to say to that woman, kind of thing. I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's that. Hey, they, they've touched on it. She touches, you know, Teeny Howard touches on that in the first issue. I'm in, and um, that kind of thing. They don't touch on again. At, like whenever, like I've read two volumes of this. I don't think they actually. Bring no, it again. I don't think they do. And it's interesting because again, Quanon like died or revanche, whatever you want to call her. She did die in the nineties. Like she died not long yeah. after she was introduced, around like issue thirty-two or something. Not that, or I think in and around that area. And yeah, she was resurrected in twenty nineteen, and now you know she has her body back. And it's interesting that they, I, I don't think I, I, as much as we've kind of made fun of fallen angels in passing, it was at least. The, for the first time, someone really trying to explore who that character really was, um, because she was never really explored that well. And when we did kind of briefly meet her in the in the nineties, it, it was you know it wasn't it wasn't the best time for characterization of that type, uh, and it wasn't what they were interested in really doing. And it was nice to kind of you know see a little bit more from that character. I do have to say though, like the Betsy that we get in this book does not feel like the Betsy we've read for the last twenty years either. Like she does feel like a remarkably different character, and I guess how much of that is because of the, the the body swap, and how much of it is just you know the new writer just getting it wrong. I, I'm not sure which is correct. I think that no one yeah, really, a- like as as you said, who is who are either of these characters, right? I think it was kind of an opportunity. Let's take both of them, let's separate them, and kind of give them a fresh start. We can kind of respect and touch on the, the past life they let as one being. But now they both can be their own individual characters, and let's kind of take them and and go, and let's not worry about you know where they've come from all that much. Hmm. I did at the yeah, beginning. I, I feel like. Oh, sorry. Go go ahead, Nate. I was just thinking that I feel like Claremont wrote her a certain way in the in the eighties, and she was this um, privileged aristocratic model who also was a shield agent. So she was this interesting kind of combination of model, um, delicate flower, but also hardcore trained agent, now mute, 
telepath, and so she had this very strong kind of characterization of Claremont in the way that he did her, he wrote her. And then she, that all fades away when she gains Conan's body, and she just becomes mysterious and hardlined, and then more and more hardlined to the point of X Force, where she's just kind of a killer for hire, and she talks about how she's lost herself and lost her soul. Maybe that even begins around the Crimson Dawn era, right, where she literally becomes a shadow. Um, and so this new Betsy is maybe neither of the two. And I guess, I guess that's for the best because you can't just try to ape Claremont style going forward. No, it, it's interesting because I guess in a lot of ways, like, you know, the three of us have never really known the real Betsy because we haven't read a lot of that Claremont stuff. Like, she wasn't around like a tremendously long time before she got altered anyway. But I mean, maybe only what, 20 or 30 issues. But I mean, it wasn't a super long time with that character. And we haven't really read a lot of the Captain Britain stuff that she would have appeared in as well. So, you know, in a lot of ways, we probably don't even know the real Betsy who was originally, you know, designed by Claremont. We know this, this, you know, as you said, this, this altered version um, that especially after you said the Crimson Dawn really changed the character a lot moving forward. And that's always the one I kind of look back to. And so, yeah, in a lot of ways, maybe I just don't know who Betsy is. And you're right. This is a chance for us to kind of re-get to know her. At the beginning of this book, it felt disarming to me because the interaction between her and Brian just felt so like like they weren't very established characters who've been through shit. You know, like it felt very like whimsical. And I'm like, that's not the Brian I know or remember at all. And I don't really remember what his kind of current continuity was as Captain Britain, but it just felt so strange and kind of cut off from everything I knew of Brian as a character. I don't know if you guys had that same feeling. Um, I don't, well, I guess I should insert this here. I'm probably a bad person to have on a show like this because I have not read the Davis, Claremont, Excalibur stuff. I dabbled a little bit with Joe, when Joe Madrera did, I think, like one issue maybe. I don't know how many issues he did of Excalibur, but I saw one in the store and I was like, I like that artist. So I bought it and I was confused by it. So um, outside of AOA, where I bought Excalibur because I was just really into AOA, hey, uh, that's something that I've really wanted to go back and, and read. I, I really want to start with the Alan Moore stuff from Captain Britain, and then I want to go into Claremont and Davis's Excalibur. That's on the to, to get list. And I'm, you know, as as you know, that maybe your listeners don't know, I'm getting really into the epic collections, and so I'd, I'd like to have all of the uh, the X Men books from Giant Size X Men up until now, basically whatever they're going to do in epic form. And I would love, I hope that they're going to do epic stuff and reprint Alan Alan Moore stuff because I I think it's been out of print for a while. Um, and and I hope that is there even a single volume of Excalibur in epic? Uh, absolutely, no. Excalibur's already started. So Excalibur, yeah, that's that's the Claremont and Alan Davis kind of creation. If you want to go to Captain Britain, that's in omnibus format, which I think is getting reprinted again. Um, they've never done soft covers of that, um, but Excalibur is part of the epic collection line. Um, and they have, I think, three or four volumes out already. Well, then I'll have to look into that, because if you want to ask me what I know about Captain Britain, it, I, I, I don't know, he has a cool costume, and I know that 616 comes from, or 616 comes from his storyline with all the, with the multiverse and all the Captain, the Captain Britain Corp. So I, I have knowledge because I've, like, wiki read, but I... I couldn't tell you anything about their personalities in that regard, um, okay. which maybe it's good that so many of the characters in this book aren't actually from the Excalibur comic. Maybe. These are mostly just the X-Men characters. Hmm. 
Uh, I just checked it for you, Nate. So Excalibur, uh, they've had uh, four Epic Collection volumes so far. It's actually numbers 1, 2, 3, and 4. So if you want, you can pick up those four volumes and have Excalibur 1 to 58 and for those four volumes. And, that, and, and, Cl- and Claremont, he starts it, right? Like he oh, yeah. was the original writer on that book, right? He so, was. Um, yeah, I'll, maybe I'll hunt those down. Yeah, and actually I think they're, they just announced an Excalibur omnibus as well. You know me, I'm not an omnibus guy. I mean, you were close. I was so close there that for a while. I was like, oh, hovering over it, that button. But, um, <laughs> but uh, So, okay, so this, I mean, obviously I, I kind of know going in that when you see it's Excalibur and you see the characters, I mean, obviously I would say for Paul, I'm just going to speak for Paul for a second, I'm guessing it's kind of the, the rogue and gambit of it all was probably what kind of grabbed your interest first. Am I right? Well, when looking at here's all the books that are announced, here's some of the characters and all the various books in this Dawn of X era, um, you know, looking at Excalibur going, okay, so you've, you've converted, um, and you're forgetting about the whole split personality thing at the time. Um, you know, Psylocke's going to be Captain Britain. Okay, that makes sense. She's a sister. Um, she's only actual connection. It's surprising at least Nightcrawler could have made this team or something, you'd think. Mm. Um, but yeah, Gambi got Rogue, got Jubes in there. Um or an apocalypse for some funky reason. Okay, um, and Richter's in here, so it's like, all right, well, like these are some characters I kind of like, um, you know. And obviously, I've, in general, I've never loved um, the villains being on teams, but we're well past that now. It's Kroniar, anyways. So let's see, kind of where this goes. And I was looking forward to it, and you know, I, I dates it off the top. The art in this book um, is superb um, and very consistent, very colorful. Um, so I do love how that's panned out, but um, the, the stories it tells um, is, is kind of tough to follow. Like even after rereading, even after reading a kind of a synopsis on, on a wiki page, trying to kind of grasp a few different things, what's going on with these different uh, groups of mages that we get introduced to, and an apocalypse playing with uh, Fortress of Solitude crystals with gates. <laughs> um, you know, all these kind of, you know, and the, the Morgan Le Fay angle, um, and with Otherworld and Camelot, and, and what those mean together, um, it's it's a lot, right? The Lighthouse, all these things. Um, but they do touch on a lot of cool things, like, how, like you know, reintroducing and, and resetting Quanon and, and, um, and Betsy, and dealing with... Uh, having a platform for Rogue and Gambit to expand their their relationship and their marriage that they're going through their their conversation and I think in the last in issue six about wanting to have children um, I got I get pretty pissed off here's Rogue I want to see Rogue do some stuff and she gets taken off the board almost immediately on the first issue um, but again a fascinating kind of dynamic with the way the unique way of using powers Kirkoa is a mutant. Uh, and Rogue touches Krakoa and absorbs the power of Krakoa in a way, um, which is part of Apocalypse's plan. And they kind of flip-flop going, trying to figure out, is Apocalypse, you know, really on the X-Men side, or does he have a, a diabolical plot in the background he's been working on? I've always been wondering that with Apocalypse during this whole uh, Dawn of X thing. And it, it, even now, I still don't know what his kind of story is until we reach X of Swords. Um you know, because he goes back and forth between he has a plan and Gambit doesn't trust him, and but in the end, you know, he has Morgan Le Fay locked in the basement torturing her, right? So it's like 
but also we get this cool kind of exposition of now him introducing this concept of mutant magic, which is kind of a cool concept, right? So a lot, a lot of stuff being thrown at you here, and I, I know it's for a lot of different beats here, uh, not to jump too far ahead of anything, but it's it was uh, a lot of, some cool ideas here, but kind of hard to follow because it, it felt like it's just throwing crap at you left, right, and center. It did feel very convoluted. It felt like there was just... I, like I have a, a lot of uh, I have plan I have this plan I have this plan and it was just kind of like I don't think anyone has a plan like it's just I didn't feel like the writer had at the, at the times had a plan like it, again it it felt like it was too busy for busy's sake like I don't know if it all really if, if parts of it really added up or you know meant as much as it could like you have yeah, as you said you have the druids you have Klanakaba you have all these different things I think you could have pared down some of these and just had a more kind of a straight line story which still would have been a fun adventure yarn but like there's a lot of kind of weirdness like shogo going to other world and becomes like this giant dragon that you know breathes dragon fire and then it can you know uh, poke a hole in reality so that creatures can get through to the you know the regular universe like it's just a lot of weird stuff like that that doesn't really get explained but you just have to go with it and even the like it, it felt convoluted even to get shogo there like, you had to kind of build in a reason that Jubilee would go through a gate, go get him, but then still go on the adventure with him, with her. And it was just a lot of, like, okay, you're making... Like, it felt like she was trying... Uh, Teeny Howard was trying so hard to put all the pieces together to do this weird stuff, but it didn't always feel like it was logical, and just things just kind of happened. And as you said, like, Rogue gets taken off the board right away, and even when she comes back, it didn't really feel... I don't know. It, it didn't feel like it was worth it. It was worth, you know, taking her off the map. I think the character I probably enjoyed the most was Richter, although even then, a lot of his about face is kind of off-panel. Um, but I liked where they kind of put him afterwards and him kind of being a, a believer with Apocalypse and trying to try something different. I thought that was an interesting way to take the character from where you started with him being a lot more kind of depressed and angry, but his powers don't work, so we can't go to Krakoa. He's worried he's going to split it apart. Really cool concepts. And the next yep. time we see him, he's like, I'm better now. Everything's cool. And I'm like, okay, but that was really cool before. Um, I would have liked to see a little bit more of what is that? What did he actually talk about with Apocalypse? How did Apocalypse be able to kind of soothe him and get him okay to go to Krakoa and not be afraid he was going to break it and actually have control of his powers? I feel like those types of character beats were missing and were, would have been a lot more interesting than some of the stuff that kind of got shoved in. Yeah. Uh, Apocalypse being a weird mystical guy now, like part of me wants to love it. Part of me thinks that's cool. He's been around forever. Why wouldn't he have access to this kind of stuff? And But it just feels so counter to everything we've ever known of him. And there's never been any inklings of this before. And he's always been more about technology and about future tech and celestial tech and all this stuff. And so the idea of him being magic in some areas, in, in, like in some perspectives, is not hard to believe. But at the same time, but there's been nothing to support this at all. And suddenly he's going to just become this magic guru. And that's a little bit harder to follow and really believe. And then, I mean, that's where, for me, Tennis Wars kind of falls apart, too, is that it really wants me to believe in this side of Apocalypse. And it's really difficult for me to do that. Yeah, when did Doctor Doom start going all mystical, too? Was that, has that been a longstanding thing, or is that that's, fairly recent? That's too? like over 30, 40 years. Okay, so he's always dabbled there in that. Yeah, okay. that's been fairly consistently part of I don't know exactly when they started introducing that, but it's been a long time. I mean, at the very least, in the 80s, which would still be 35 okay, years from now. still plenty. Okay. No, yeah, you're right. It's weird. Again, maybe they're looking for a fresh angle on, on Apocalypse 2 to kind of get him to do something 
um, and they decided to go this magical route. Yeah, it's it is interesting. But again, he's always about evolution too. So it's evolu- how can you, we evolve magic into mutant magic, which is kind of an interesting concept. They don't, I guess, dive too too deep into it. They they dabble with it, and you know, Richter becoming this devoted follower of his, and you know, then becomes his disciple um, was a very interesting take, and then. You know, is he? Does he have a belief now? His powers are more magical oriented versus his earth shifting powers, or he has this dual control of some kind? Because you you see him later on, like reading these uh, grimoires of Apocalypse and then studying the craft that uh, Apocalypse has now created. It's interesting too. Well, again, uh, uh, kind of along those lines, like you have this very different Apocalypse. Who, I, to be honest, I kind of like his robes. It kind of reminds me of like. Thanos chilling out, you know, on, on his porch, Infinity War, like, kind of like, it looks very recreational, it's nice to kind of see him a bit more relaxed, but yeah, it's just, I just wish there was more something to it, and again, I'm not a big fan of Otherworld to begin with, that's unfortunately going to be a strike against this entire book, is that I'm just not really invested in that world, even that world felt so, like, you have, um, uh, what's her name, uh, Morgan Le Fay fighting her, this war against the White Witch, which they don't even really focus on, like, she's doing this big battle, and now she's, dis- you know, distracted by the Krakoan vines. And it's like, okay, so she's just going to divert her resources to do this whole other thing, and they don't even really catch up on what that means. And even the part with Jamie at the end kind of just, you know, now he's the you know, he's the king. Feels very haphazard and out of nowhere. I did like all the parts with him, though, because I thought his characterization was very on point, him being very like you know lecherous and you know defiling the the healing gardens or the whatever and like him being in, in the yeah. egg and not refusing to leave and like that stuff's really interesting for multiple levels first of all because he's so perverse about it but also just having egg talk about it and say like you know getting a bit of an in- inside perspective again on more about what that's actually like with the resurrection protocols and even when apocalypse quote-unquote dies and him being resurrected it's because he's top of the line because he's a member of the quiet council those bureaucratic things are really interesting to kind of see how they operate right no you're right i think you, you just introduced this this the you know where nate wants to live and spend his life at kokoa this beautiful world and they're working on world building kokoa and you immediately take this team away from them and, and poke into a world where I, I, how, how much of fandom is there? How, no, who cares about this lighthouse in, in Britain and, and other world and Camelot? Why would you remove? Like, I, I would get it more if it like, if it built. And even in hindsight, I don't think it builds enough towards Ten of Swords. I know Ten of Swords a lot of stuff happens in, in, in other world and stuff like that, but uh, there's very little here that that really connects to it so they could have maybe spent the the first issue kind of maybe building up to leading to other world as opposed to rushing this group off uh, off the hop and 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 keeping the cocoa vibe going for a bit first and then establishing outside outside the world stuff Mm -hmm. uh, afterwards it did feel like as well that there's a bunch of like kind of like fan service for fans of excalibur but doesn't really add anything like using pete wisdom that was like a big whoa it's pete wisdom he's back it meant nothing. They didn't go anywhere with him. They didn't use Pete Wisdom after that. Like, he showed up. It was a big deal. Like, oh, it's Pete Wisdom. And if you know anything about Excalibur, he has a history with them. And then they do nothing with it. Even with the lighthouse, they talk about the, the old lighthouse, and you know, the old Excalibur. But then they kind of drop it. They have Kitty there. Has a long history with Excalibur. She was a member of Excalibur for most of its run. 
Don't even talk about it. It's it's you know it's 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 slightly brushed upon. Like it just felt like weird. Like you have this book called Excalibur, and obviously it's the other world connection that's really driving that, and Captain Britain. But outside of that, like there's all these other characters that have such a connection to Excalibur. They're not really used, or if they're mentioned, it's very just fleeting, just to kind of remind you. Don't worry, we know we're doing an Excalibur book. We have to mention these characters at some point, but we're not going to focus on it. Like I, again, I can't remember if it's you or Nate, but. There's no Nightcrawler here. He's, again, one of those characters that everyone kind of, you know, connects with uh, with Excalibur. Maybe not more so than Captain Britain, but still, like, there's a, a very deep connection there. And yet, there's nothing here for that. So it's it's just an odd an odd series of choices. Um, I mean, I guess, what, what else would you have called it? Otherworld? No one would buy it. <laughs> no, not at all. You know, and well, I guess you could have called it Captain Britain and something. You know, like, they've had Captain Britain before, books before. Um, but again, that was not going to sell in the same way that an Excalibur will. Excalibur, at this point, is a legacy title. The original Excalibur run for, ran for 125 issues. You have new Excalibur happen for like maybe 18 issues. Uh, there's been a couple other Excaliburs over the years. It is a legacy title, so you know that people are going to pick it up because it's Excalibur. Yeah, but like Nate said, if he was buying this in singles, he would have dropped it like three great French yeah. uh, pretty quick. So, Well, and it's interesting because, yeah, the first few issues are definitely the more interesting because it it's before you really go deep into the other world stuff and the Captain Britain stuff and the, the magic of it all. The first few issues, it's a lot more grounded. And even the stuff I thought I would like more, like the Richter and Gambit subplot, if, when you actually read it again, you're like, what is, what is happening here? What are they actually doing here? And how would they get out of this? Like, it just felt very... Like, once I went back to it, I was like, I like the characterization of them working together. I like the interplay. I like how Richter feels about these other people because he also connects to the ground and what that means. And then they just kind of throw it away, and, it was, and it's just weird. And then they somehow come back to Earth. And even killing Apocalypse has never felt as easy as it has in this book. Like, I, I they fought Apocalypse for years. And, like, in the Age of Apocalypse... <laughs> He fought, like, tons of people, and no one could put this guy down. He died really easily here. And maybe you could say he wanted to die because, you know, he'd be reborn, and that was the whole part of the shtick. But that just feels like you're reaching, and it, and it doesn't really fit Apocalypse. But again, he's a new Apocalypse. He's a little cuddly now, so who knows? <laughs> it's true, yeah. I, I guess it was part of his master plan. I don't know. But, again, this ability to kill someone and resurrect them almost without any trouble... Um, I think the only time you, we, we deal with challenging resurrections or, or, or a deeper meaning is X Factor. I, I can't wait to talk about that book. They, they do a really good job on that book, really digging deep and proof of death and all that kind of stuff. Um, but you know, it's it's kind of this. So the, the unfortunate negative effect of the resurrection protocols is you know they're the stakes for a lot of things aren't as heavy. Um, you know because of it. it's very you know very easy to do this quick, write them off bring them back, um, very easy way to retcon things or, or do a quick little pop uh, just for shits and giggles. But um, we'll, see, we'll see how that evolves going forward. I, I got to think at some point like something huge is going to go wrong in, in Resurrection World. I, I, I can bet on it. You know, There's going to be a huge issue at that at some point. I think you're probably right. I, I think it's – I like how they poke – not poke holes in it, but how they develop – how that framework even looks like. Like obviously with Apocalypse it was gonna be different because he's front of the line. It does does feel like he died and it was five minutes later he was back. So that one felt felt almost too quick. But I, I do like in a lot of them, like when you had Professor X get shot in X Force, like it wasn't an easy fix. They you know, they had to fret about it, they were worried about it. What does this mean? 
obviously they overcame it relatively quickly. Super easy, barely an inconvenience, but yeah. but at least they, they you know they they dabble with that. And I think we, as you said, like I think you know they're going to play with what the resurrections can mean. We've seen spiritually what it means to some characters. Again, in X Force, it feels like X Force really takes on the brunt of that in an X Factor, uh, really kind of looking into how these things impact their world. Um, and I, I I feel like I don't want them to have a, a big climactic you know resurrection protocol failure. Yeah, although we kind of got that in Ten of Swords. I don't know if Nate's still listening because I know he's kind of disappeared somewhere. But like, I'm curious because that was a way of injecting a, a level of peril that we hadn't seen before, right? Right. Um, and and using a character that I think is pretty much beloved. I don't think anyone hates that character that it happened to, and they're using that as the guinea pig of oh, bad things can happen. Um, again, I'm trying to be as vague as possible for those who haven't read Ten of Swords. Um, so, you know, they have started, you know, integrating in these issues that happen. Um, apparently Nate is here, but I guess he's just not talking to us. Oh, have we been, we've been battling too much? I have, I, it looks like he's on mute, so I'm always oh, waiting for a gap. Here's your gap, Nate. Jump in. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I, no, I, this is good, though, because it lets me react and... And I've been thinking about a lot of what you, you guys have said, and I think you're doing a great job, and so there's not really been a, a need to try to, like, force my way in. Um, I, I, the way I see what Teeny Howard has done is I, I love all of these ideas. Like, when I really think about them, and I think both of you are, are, are saying this in, 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 in your – the ideas are sound. The ideas in some cases are really, really good. It's just the execution of those ideas hmm. that are lacking. Um. The, the action sequences or how they get from action beat to action beat is almost befuddling. Hmm. Um, and Adam, you've already articulated that uh, in particular with um, Gambit and Richter. There's several other instances where that happens. There's even an instance in the next volume coming up, which I was like, what is even? And I know that it was probably done to be a little bit um, throw off the reader, but it just it, it so often happens that way that I don't know how A links to B links to C. So I feel like that might be an area for this author to improve because I think her ideas are fantastic. I love the idea of an X-Man um, – uh, well, going back in for a second – of mutant magic. I agree with Paul. I think that's really interesting. I think that's really cool. I don't see Apocalypse being magical as problematic in the same way that you do, Adam, because Apocalypse has just been one retcon after another his entire career. And sometimes they say, hey, by the way, there's the 12, and this has all been leading up to this. Oh, by the way, that story was crap, so we're not doing that anymore. Hmm. Oh, Apocalypse's mutant power is that he's immortal. Actually, he's a body hopper. Well, he has the celestial tech, so he's an old man inside the suit. No, he's not. He's actually just a guy who's blue. Like, we've, we've already mentioned this in the past, that he's he's whatever the new idea is. And I, I, I think it makes complete sense, right, that he was a pharaoh or part of the pharaoh's army, in, in, I think he was an actual pharaoh. They, they say in Egypt, mm-hmm. and that he has had his his day with sorcery and sorcerers, uh, and so I'm all good with that. I think that's really cool. I love that Rogue gets a spell cast on her, and you know, it's Jubilee or Kitty or Kate, sorry, that says, "Oh, she's like so beautiful," and she's like like that. Have, have you tried kissing her yet? And mm. in the end, she revives and quote-unquote kisses apocalypse and then takes his powers that's that's what she used to do of course in the 80s and 90s whenever she wanted power she, she kissed them she even mentions a kiss at that moment i love uh, like you mentioned uh, jamie coming back adam i love the that richter 
becoming a druid. I think that's super cool. I, I like that they bring him out of his funk in that way, and that he. I don't know why he suddenly trusts and stuff but he does. Um, I don't know why a lot of the motivations are what they are. I, I think the character moments are definitely the best. Right, uh, Paul, you mentioned in issue six with Remy and Rogue in one of those Krakoa hot tubs. Oh, how cool that would be to hang out in a Krakoa hot tub, the three of us. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> Um, and talking about sorry, did you mean you? To, sorry, did you mean you, Rogue, and Gambit, or the three of us? I, I, I'm talking to th- two other people here. I thought it would about, be about three of us. I wasn't sure. I thought you wanted to be with Remy and uh, and uh, Anna Marie. Hey, the more the merrier. Let's have all five of us have a chat. Um, but I and I think it makes complete sense that a character like Rogue wouldn't want to have kids based on her history and based on her life, and based on her personality. That's not really. And she says, no, maybe not now, maybe not ever, right? That's a very real conversation, particularly in the light of what Nightcrawler said when he said, you know, we have to have more mutants. Uh, There'd be a lot of pressure on a lot of the women, I think, in that society, almost like a Handmaid's Tale kind of thing, like, oh my gosh, what are we part of here now? Are we part of this weird uh, oligarchy that's maybe even a theocracy that's going to force and compel all women who can have children to have children? So there's that's a very real worry that uh, women would have uh, that male characters probably wouldn't think about. So all these character moments, really, really great. And I wish we had more of that. And I think it gets looser and harder to follow and less satisfying the more it turns to action. And I can't believe I'm saying this. I guess I've just become a weird old man, but I am far more interested in most character interactions these days than fighting. Hmm. But if you are going to do a fight, and I think Adam was saying this too, it has to mean something, and it has to be satisfying, and there's a lot of just, I feel like, uh, spinning their wheels in this, and that's maybe my big take. I uh, I had something I was going to say, and then Paul distracted me. Um, but I think you bring up a lot of good points there. Here's a question about, if I was a female in Kokoa and I did want to have a child, but I had whatever kind of genetic defect that prevented me from doing so, if could I ask someone on Kokoa, is do they have like euthanasia that they could kill me to bring me back and fix my genetic predisposition to not be able to have children because of what they can do with the resurrection protocols to bring me up in an optimal state that now I can have children? Well, it's, it's, you mean it's a rhetorical question, of course, right? Like you don't. I well, if you haven't, like I, I don't know, like I, I is that I, if it's possible, would someone do that, like? kill themselves to bring themselves back because I guess they're not really worried about the, the mutant soul. The soul, I guess the mutant soul is restored by uh, Cerebro, I guess, right? Or the, whatever makes you you. So in theory, well, you, is- you could do that and then you wouldn't have to, to live with that thing that pre- maybe prevented you from being able to have children. I mean, that is one of the questions, right, that, that Nightcrawler brings up in, um, I guess, the, the second storyline for X-Men, right? Um, mm. um the, what, what do I call that second? I, I, I'm going to refer to it as volume two of X-Men, but okay. <laughs> whatever the storyline is called, um, yeah, a lot of those great theological, philosophical questions about what is the soul, what happens to us, are they actually able to get the, the soul of the, the, for lack of better, better term, back in the body? Um, although what I think, Adam, you've just done is you've just written a job description for what Sabretooth can do when he comes back out of the pit. He can be the... <laughs> The I guess the what, medical assistance in dying, but I guess it would be the saber tooth assistance in dying in this society. Um, but maybe they don't have to die. Maybe why can't Elixir or one of the healers oh, yeah. solve that anomaly first, right? Before you'd have to result to full out 
slaughter and <laughs> resurrection. Um, I, I get it for like from the from the M Day perspective. You're not a mutant anymore. You want to become a mutant again. You need to earn it uh, in this weird kind of ritual that they've created in the society, and that's it's, it's crazy. Um, but I, I, I guess it makes a little bit of sense. Uh, but in this case, with so many mutants with the ability to heal and, and do these things, you know, maybe three of the five have that ability to just you know heal and and uh, and fix someone with a, with a genetic defect. Because I'm sure they would want. It as much childbearing females mm. as possible. So if someone came to them and said, hey, I can't because of this, they would find a way to fix it in a more humane manner rather than sort of safer at them. Yeah. <laughs> have, they, have they resolved in any way or at least said anything about, for people who had gone through M-Day, uh, were deactivated, who maybe did not get reactivated, because it's possible that not everyone got, I mean, we obviously know that not everyone got their powers reactivated when Hope kind of reignited everyone's powers. So if I had lost my abilities and like have they said that even if you don't have your active x gene that your mind would still be picked up by cerebro and backed up like you know or or and i guess this must have happened i mean we're seeing it differently for crucible people because they're on kokoa it's easy for xavier to back them up right before they go through crucible but what if you didn't go through the crucible what if something happened in the real world uh, what if you weren't on Kokoa, your powers never came back, so you didn't go because you maybe didn't feel like you would be truly welcomed, and something did happen to you and you died. Is is your backup, technically speaking, from when you were a mutant, or is it from the last time that you were not a mutant? Does that make sense? It does, and it's a very good question. I'm sure Hickman has already been sitting back in his office cackling about all the different ideas he has to he'd like to explore. Um, There's a graph on that somewhere, guaranteed. <laughs> Oh, can I can I just mention? Speaking of graphs, I hate the grimoires. I don't want to read any of these grimoire pages. Already, it's it's hard for me to read. Especially, I guess the the hardest time I've had reading some of these info pages hmm. was in Fallen Angels. That was just like I uh, don't. Uh, yeah, anytime I had to fall asleep, I'd read this one of those books, and it put me out every time. I just yeah, they should <laughs> they should they should just do a trade containing only info pages. You're right. Um, Nate, this is for you. Uh, I do recommend that at some point you read uh, The Rise of Apocalypse. I haven't read it in a long time, but it's a, a miniseries from 1996 to 7. Uh, it was four issues long. It was written by Terry Cavanaugh, and uh, it was all about, again, the, the early days of, of Apocalypse, uh, his, uh, his earliest confrontations with Ramatut. Um, so I, it's and Ozymandias actually has his first real appearance back then. I mean, he, I think he'd already appeared by that point, but this kind of fleshed out who Ozymandias really was. I have interesting you bring that up. I have, I believe, one issue of that that I picked up back in the day. I don't know where or why, but it was sitting in my singles, um, and uh, I was flipping through. So yeah, that is a good wreck. I should go and find the rest of the issues. Maybe uh, Comicsology be the best way to do that. I think so. I, I don't know if you'll love the art. You have to kind of like Adam Polina. Adam Polina has a very specific look, and if you don't like it, it's just not going to be enjoyable for you as much, but uh, your mileage might vary. I mean, speaking of art, okay, I don't know how to say Marcus's last name. Is it Two? Is it Toe? Marcus Toe? I think I've always heard of this Toe. So he, yeah, he's... Some of the most beautiful images of any of these characters I have seen... In a long time ever, I mean, the, I'm going to attribute the redesign of Betsy's costume to him because the lead artist and it looks phenomenal. Hmm. Um, spirit wolves, magical creatures, dragons. I like the 
the visuals of Shogo as a dragon. I like the idea of Shogo as a dragon. I actually wish they did. I, they went further. I wish that Shogo was a baby dragon and that he manifests his dragonness because dragons can shapeshift, right? That that would be yeah. similar to me is that he's not just useful in other world. That maybe it manifested first there, but hmm. that's actually what he is. Um, that would because babies. I mean, that's often an issue that the children in comics become more of like an obstacle, a barrier to storytelling because you have to have them babysat or yeah. constantly saved. And so the sooner Valeria and the sooner Franklin can manifest powers, the more they can be autonomous. Mm-hmm. And so Choco is now gaining that ability. I would, anyway, uh, the, the way everything is drawn, some gorgeous pictures of Rogue, I'm a big fan of Rogue and her 90s costume, even though um, I think that is kind of dated, <laughs> certainly by today's standards. Uh, I love what, it looks like Toha's done here with rope, but it's a mostly green costume now with the jacket mm-hmm. closed uh, with straps across it and kind yeah, of like she black. There, yeah. yeah, it looks really smart. I, I really like that redesign. Um, everything's so beautiful, and I just wish that the story was a little bit less confusing. Yeah, I think that's that's a great point. I think ha- like having, I think they put familiar characters in here for a reason. They put a, 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 a cleaner artist on here for a reason. Like if this had a new mutant start on it, it would have flopped so hard, right? Like I think, but you're right. The the story is, is was a tough thing to really get behind, and it's one of those books that you find yourself like forcing yourself to read through, and you're forcing yourself to read anything. You're not absorbing it, and you're not enjoying it as much as you would other books, right? And that's that's why you know. As, as I always like to joke, I'm a simpleton, and I don't like to struggle through my stories and my reads. I like to enjoy it. I like to understand what's happening, um, you know. And I don't mind heavy-handed concepts. I don't mind, you know, having to reread something or, or hop on a wiki page to see someone else's kind of point of view or a more simplified explanation on things to kind of get it. Um, but uh, you, you really have to, to land stuff to keep your readership, and um, you know, hopefully, this can improve. Because uh, I really want to read st- adventures with these characters, right? I'm, I'm invested more for these characters. I'm a fan of these characters, and I want them to have some, do some cool stuff. Um, and I think, to a degree, it's kind of gotten better. But now I'm curious, like you know, I, I, now that Ten of Swords has happened, I'm curious to see where the series is going to go post that because Ten of Swords was a, was a big part. Now that that's concluded, um, you know, where's the direction of, of this series going to go going forward? And and there are some ideas that. Maybe they're confusing, and there's some ideas that I think are a great. There's a great premise, like this idea of you know we're we're in the era of Brexit, we're in the era of a sizable portion of the population uh, of England or the UK who voted to step out of the European Union, and connected to that, there there are people who voted for that for their own reasons, but largely there are reasons of concerns of outsiders coming in, for my, my workers coming in. Um, a fear of, of, of the other, of, of feeling like they're marginalized economically, of not having control or autonomy. Um, so there's there's also people there with uh, accusations of uh, uh, white supremacy or racism that they're uneasy with England shifting into a more multicultural society. And so this is a bit of There's lots of very interesting things at play there. And then when you have a society of mutants, an island of mutants, now also about England sees this mutant Captain Britain as problematic and the mutants who are on their island as problematic. So it has these overtones of very you know, relevant current events and political strife. And so you've got a, a, the minority metaphor again of, of mutants, which works so perfectly. And how do you deal with that? How do you act? How, how do you stand as a mutant Captain Britain when a number of the people, a portion of the population is like, you know, they're xenophobic, they're, they're speciesist, and they, they don't want her. They don't, you're not my Captain Britain. 
And then you get to yeah. the scene where there's this crowd gathered around the mutants, and they're they're cheering at them, and they're they're, they're racing signs and protests, and they're taking pictures and uh, social media and throwing things. And Gambit beats them up, like he just it's like blasting them. And Jubilee's like, "I'll help." And then comes Richter, and they're earthquaking them, and there's just these civilians thrown about, blasted with fireworks and kinetic explosive cards, and you're like. Was that, that doesn't seem like it's picked up or goes anywhere. Like Betsy no. walks out and she's like, "Don't do it anymore." And they're like, "Okay." And that just kind of it's like, "Yeah." It doesn't you know what I mean? Like it's all these. It, it, in a way, I'm not trying to bash Claremont, but Claremont was famous for starting storylines and not 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 picking them up. You know what I mean? Like he's he always be saying, "Oh, here's a page, and we're going to go in this page to Muir Island." And this character is talking to this character, and you're like, "Oh, I can't wait to see that resolve." And like six months go by, and you're like, "Are we ever gonna?" And maybe you never got picked up on that. I feel like Teen Howard is doing that, like not just within uh, an issue here or there. I feel like every issue has multiple stories or branches that almost immediately go nowhere. Hmm. It's kind of like a condensed version of what it was like to read Claremont. Yeah, no, I think you're 100 on point with that. Hundred percent. I love Slammer. I think she's got a lot of great ideas. I just mm-hmm. hope to see her ideas cultivated, maybe with uh, more editorial. I don't know. I don't know. That's wrong. Now, is is Brian a mutant? No. Or his powers are derived from his the Captain Britain powers from the sort of power or the amulet of wisdom, whatever it's called, right? That's and, right. And his love of old Blighty. <laughs> yep. Go. Yeah. Yeah. The amulet of the sword, right? Of Avalon. Okay. Um, Nate, uh, before we kind of do, uh, uh, you know, kind of end, end the show, I do want to ask, how, how did you feel about the Krakoan costume technology? The costumed, um, you have to remind me of where that was. So uh, there's a, a, I think the first time we see uh, Bet- Betsy with uh, Brian and she just puts her costume on, like she's just standing there in regular clothes. Oh, yeah. And it just activates and he's like, whoa, what? Ha- that's new. And it's like Krakoan costume technology. I'm like, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the, the thing, so that's very Reed Richards, right? That's very unstable molecules. Um, but it does connect back to what we'll see, I guess I'm trying to think of when this comes out, of the future storyline in X-Men where Magneto is talking at Davos and he says we there, there, there either is or there will be more mutant culture. And so this is another, I guess, an example of maybe Forge's hmm. – you know, power, but also Krakoan abilities, like the actual island itself, its mutant abilities, and and connected very much to Betsy, right? Because she was um she she was a model. I think she even worked in fashion, wasn't she? A designer for a while. I think she that, had her own line of clothes. I think that's right. I mean, she's no you know Janet Von Dyne, but no, but she is she she's a great character to have this a, a technology where she can switch outfits. It's too bad that she almost always is then in the armor and the. Captain mm-hmm. Britain armor. Not because that armor is bad, just because she was a fashionista or a model or a very fashionable person in her earlier days. And I love that she immediately turns uh, her costume into this very purple lavender, um, almost an homage maybe to the the 80s costume. I think so. That's, that's, that's really delightful, and I would like to see her use more of that. She should be going out for like nights on the town, hanging out with Rogue and, and Jubilee, and like doing, doing her costume up the way... You know, in a flash, any way that she would want to, that would be really cool. But uh, all the characters seem to have it, right? Because there's a lot of them yeah. lipping. I mean, even the next page, there's Rogue in a green dress and Gambit shirtless, and um, in a I don't know what that is, a bathrobe. And then they just flick into their costumes. So it's very um, fantastic for. But it's neat. 
Two quick thoughts on that. First, I love that at the end of that page with uh, with Betsy when they kind of crouch together and they just say, for Avalon, for Avalon. I don't know why, but that I really like that. And again, it never felt like it really ended up earning its promise, but there's just something about that that simple kind of them both kind of saying that oath kind of together that I really liked. Again, it never really went anywhere, but it was a nice character moment between the two of them. Um, another thing, just on your idea of the unstable molecules, I had forgotten that right from the minute the all new all different X-Men gathered in GSX number one, that they already had the unstable molecules, like boom, out of nowhere. Like I was just rereading it with Zach over the last few days. We finally, it took us a few days to go through GSX one because it's very heavy. Uh, there's a lot of words. It's not even Claremont it's Len Wein, but it's a lot of words uh, in the mid seventies. Um, so we read that whole thing. And then when you first have the assembled kind of all new all different team, they, they do specifically call out that. How did you know our sizes? How this fits so well? And they're like, well, it's unstable molecules. They don't explain that, you know, we kind of stole it from Reed Richards, but whatever. Still, um, where, where they can go with this, they could go so many places, what will happen? I don't know. Will it be another one of these things that's just neat and was on a whiteboard at one point in the planning session, the planning meetings, and we don't see it? Uh, I don't know. But, I, I, again, I just want to stress I love a lot of these ideas. I love the idea of fairy tales and mutants and magic. I think that's all cool and neat and I'm still on board. Like I'm still happy to read more. Um, I'm just hoping that I, I like what comes after what I guess it would be Ten of Swords. Is, I haven't read Ten of Swords yet either, so there's another uh, declaration I should make here. I'm pre Ten of Swords, yeah. having not read Excalibur, the original series. So I'm very much like in this weird bubble of okay, like I'll just see where it takes me, and um, I'm anxious to read that. Plus, it's like I've been the mail, and then. So how do we pronounce the Krakoan A for Apocalypse? What, what are we looking for here? No idea. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> that's what happens in my head. Obviously, that's not a thing. But in my head, that's what my head does. I know that's probably dumb. But like, is he Prince now? I'm, I'm now this logo of A? Like, I, I, I don't even no, know. No, he, he has a name. It's just we can't pronounce it because we're not mutants. That's right. all we can sure. pronounce it. But there is there is a translation matrix for Krakoan, right? So there's a big A well, with brackets around it. It's, so it's a simple cipher with like the English alphabet, and they've just given them new characters. But yes. yeah, this is not none of that, right? This is yeah, right. Whole, this is a whole new thing, yeah, for yeah, sure. For sure. So yeah, <laughs> we shouldn't we shouldn't be able to have that cipher. It shouldn't exist for us, right? They exactly. should keep us guessing. So what do you want to rate the, this one out of? We usually pick something that's you know kind of fits in with the theme of the book. How many what's of what? Uh, what How many Captain Britons? I don't know. There's a lot of those, aren't there? There are. Oh, yeah. Sure. Um, I guess I will give it... Um, I, I really like the first two issues, and I think they bring up... What, the, the as, it, as it gets towards the end, it gets more confusing. Actually, you know what? It gets more confusing in the middle, and by the end, I'm like, okay... So maybe I like the beginning and the end and not the middle. Whatever whatever the case is, I'd probably give it maybe like a 7.5. It's kind of like it's not terrible, but it's not great. Okay. Paul? I'm going to go six Captain Britons. Um, again, wonderful art. Um, uh, some cool ideas, um, but just too much bouncing around and no no closure, no cohesiveness. And you make a really good point on that one beat when you know the mutants are getting bullied by the civilians and, and they get it and almost kind of out of character and get attacked uh, regardless of their feelings would be like they've 
Gambit and, and these characters have been through that a gajillion times. There's nothing new to them. Um, so like, a lot of yeah, a lot of things weren't followed through and I didn't see it. Like, she, they just tried to kind of a little too much in without fleshing out uh, certain angles. So um, as the first six issues, a six. Okay. I think I'd go kind of between you guys with a six and a half. I kind of, if I had to break it down, I would kind of give it a four out of five for art and maybe a two and a half for the actual story itself in terms of its execution. So I, yeah, six and a half for me. And a zero for the grimoires. <laughs> oh yeah. 100%. Not a fan of those grimoires. I'm going eh? to get Fallen Angels a negative score for those. <laughs> I uh, the overall score will be positive, but it'll, it'll get knocked for that. So, Nate, what's what's next in our, our list if we go back to, uh, you know, the, that, that kind of grid that we were slowly moving through? Oh, my goodness. I don't know. I just, like, I think I did a wiki of, like, House of... Not, did I do House of X? I don't know what Don, I did. Don of X, probably. Yeah, I just went to, like, the Wikipedia page, and there was a, there's a list. Like, I'm going to do it again now. But it looks... I it keep lo- sending... Every- well, I, I just checked. I just checked uh, X Men number one back when it came out. At the very end of the issue, it had everything listed. So the X Men one was first, then Marauders, then Excalibur. Then hold on to your hats, guys. On November the sixth, twenty nineteen, there was two issues that came out: New Mutants and X Force. Can we can we can choose to not do New Mutants next? Well, obviously, with New Mutants, you kind of have to. I mean, do you have to do both? Both the Hickman and the Discount? Uh I don't know. I I feel like. That's a really tough one. I feel like you do whichever volume starts with issue one. So it would be Hickman, and I do feel like they kind of deserve their own conversation because they're really not the same book. Oh, completely. You have to do them separate. You can't. You can't talk about issues one to six of that of that book at all. You have to do it, you know, based on the story and the writer. But of course, that means you're committing to two different weeks of New Mutants. It doesn't have to be in a row. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, so X Force next time. Yeah, I think X Force. I mean, maybe we're you know um, being too obvious here, but I mean, I think the the last one was a high. This one was a little bit more of a low. So yeah. next next we one, we're gonna bring it back with X Force. Yeah. Yeah, but then then we're gonna be in a in a in a twofer with a New Mutants and Fallen Angels one two punch. I don't think those books are so bad. So hopefully we can have positive things to say. I think there's a lot of good stuff there. It's not even that they're bad. It's that in successive weeks, I don't know if we're going to be as excited to talk about them. Well, I mean, that's why I suppose we could do a week where we do a twofer, and um, we kind of we have less to say about each, right? So we don't, you don't. Would that not be nicer to talk less about each one, and then I guess you don't have true. to have two different weeks? I guess yeah, that's true. true. It's interesting because yeah, we've spent like the the episodes about Marauders and X Men were pretty long. This is definitely our shortest recap so far, so it makes sense. Yeah, the kind of bundled although you brought up a really good point too nate about uh new mutants that you know do we just do both new mutants volumes at the same time because of they were kind of intertwined with their publishing schedule or do we just do you know the hickman one and you know in this example fallen angels i don't know what the best call is there we'll talk about it off air i suppose (laughs) yeah Anyways, okay. Well, again, thank you so much to both of my guests for uh, joining me to talk about Excalibur. You can email the show at comicshenanigans at gmail.com, rate the show on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and listen to us on Stitcher. Uh, in the upcoming month and a half, we're going to have Bob Budiansky on the show. Uh, we're going to have uh, Mark Wade coming back to the show uh, and a bunch of other things that I don't want to tell too much yet because I want to make sure that the scheduling gets firmed up, but uh, some good stuff coming. But uh, make sure to join us for those. And, of course, at some point... Join us to talk about X-Force, which uh, which should be quite the enjoyable episode. 
Uh, so thanks. I will, so- I will plug Bob because Bob is a great guest. We've had him multiple times at TF Cons over the years, uh, the Transformers conventions, because he was a huge part of Transformers lore. Uh, you know, Optimus Prime, Megatron, Starscream, all ten of the names and characters. Like he made them up uh, back in the day. So he's a, he's a good, humble guy. Knows his stuff. Had a lot of fun back in the day. So he'll be a good guest. So I, I tune in for that for sure. Awesome. All right. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna plug Mark Wade because uh, <laughs> I feel like he doesn't get uh, no one talks about that guy. <laughs> see, see, Nate, I I will be disappointed if when the, the Mark Wade interview comes up, I don't at least have one or two questions from you about Kazar. Um, okay, I guess I'll go back and take a look at it, and uh, <laughs> that would be a fun one. Okay, well, thank you so much, guys. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.